today's message is in Acts chapter 16, verse 16, and the title is Hope of Prophet. Hope of Prophet. Um, there's a show on TV that um, Ashley and I like, and we haven't seen it in a while because so we don't get the station anymore, but it's called The Prophet. And whereas this guy goes in and I guess struggling businesses write him and ask him to come help out. Uh, he owns a lot of businesses. He's an investor. Um, but he comes in and, and figures out what's going wrong in their business. Is it the people? Is it the process? Is it the product? And figures out um, what's going wrong or what's going right, what needs to be fixed. And a lot of times uh, he gets in there, the more he gets in there, and you know, they make the show a little dramatic, but um, uh, he finds out things that maybe shouldn't be going on. The guy was taken from the books or things just weren't managed at all or whatever the case may be. And a lot of times he has to make cuts and, and has to do things a certain way. And sometimes the owners are totally on board. Yeah, whatever, you know what you're doing. We don't, that's why we're in this situation. And they trust him. And other times they're not so on board and they fight back and sometimes they renege on the deal that they had made. Um, but uh, it's interesting, you know, with profit that sometimes... Um, we think we know how to profit, and we don't. And other times, we, we, we don't know how to profit, and we definitely turn to, to the, someone to help us profit. But we really enjoy that show. But what is profit? Um, it's financial gain. It's especially the difference between the amount earned and the amount spent in buying, operating, and producing something. Um, it's obtaining a financial advantage or benefit, especially from an investment. You know, if you have money and you invest it, you hope to get a return on it. You know, at the banks, you know, we have a couple of different savings accounts. I was moving some money around for the, the kids, and uh, one of the accounts is like a whole one percent AP, you know, APY, and the other one's got 0.75 percent. You know, these amazing rates we get in uh, in the banking industry these days. Um, but really that, uh, you know, we put that money in there and I'm going to choose one account over another account because I'll get an extra penny back. And hey, that's an extra penny that's, you know, we didn't have before that there's profit in that. You know, generally you're not going to invest in something like we've talked about before, like Enron, you know, where you know it's not good anymore. Um, but what do you consider to be profit or profitable in your life? And what do I consider in my life? You know, is it career advancement? Would it be profitable to get a career advancement? Yeah, it'd be profitable. I get a raise and I get more money and maybe get that corner office and, you know, your name on the wall, whatever it is. Uh, maybe it would be just to be debt free. You know, you get out of debt. You don't have those credit card payments anymore. You're now profiting those credit card payments every month. Plus, you don't have the interest uh, to pay every month and the fees and all that stuff. Uh, maybe it's just seeing returns on your investments. Maybe you've put some money in a 401k or you put your money in the stock market and you're just not seeing the profit you're expecting. You know, every day goes by, you go, man, retirement's getting closer. Or maybe retirement's not getting any closer because of those investments and the way they went. But really, what drives us and what drives our desire for profit? You know, is there a good desire? Is there a bad desire? Is it just, just this innate desire to profit? Um, I think in a sense, we do have a good desire put in us to profit. You know, God has designed us to be good stewards of what he's given us. And uh, when we have something, you know, obviously we don't like throwing our money away. You don't, you like getting a good deal, even when you go to the store. I mean, that's why we go to those big box stores like Costco or, you know, you get the, the, the deals on Amazon or whatever it is, because, you know, you have this money and whether you have a lot of money or little money, you want to make that money go as far as it can go. You don't like getting ripped off, you know, um, at least I don't like getting ripped off. Um, you know, I want to get the best deal for my buck and maybe that makes me picky when I buy things. But, you know, I, I want to make sure that if I'm spending twenty eight ninety nine and I can get it twenty seven ninety nine somewhere else, I want to get it there um, because then I can buy a dollar more toy somewhere else. <laughs> you know, I can get more toys. But uh, this is uh, Mark 8, 34 through 38. Uh, when Jesus had called the people to himself uh, with his disciples also, he said to them, whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him the Son of Man will also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with his holy angels. You know, I think we all know that verse. You know, what, what can a man give in exchange for his own soul? You know, but it's interesting to see in this context here about following Jesus and about not being ashamed of his name there. That, you know, what can we exchange? What can we exchange, you know? Uh, maybe for getting profit, maybe we work hard. And, you know, this uh, this ideal of you work hard, you put in the hours, 
you should get a profit. And I think sometimes that's why it's frustrating in life when you do put in those long hours, you do put in that hard work, and you don't re receive a profit. Maybe you get passed over for a promotion. Maybe the raise just wasn't there. Even as you worked hard and hard and hard, the customers just didn't come. Um, maybe it's making sacrifices of your family, of your life. Maybe you had to miss the game with the kids. Maybe you had to, to travel. You know, I remember my dad, uh, when we lived in Florida, when I was probably a year older than Mia, uh, would travel up to New York because uh, that's where he got a job. And he would commute back and forth to New York every week to get a job. And then finally he moved up here, I mean, up to New York. And then, you know, he had to do these things in order to get a job in that day and age. Um, and maybe you guys can relate. You know, I can't remember a time where I can get a job in my field where I don't have a commute on me. I've always had some sort of commute. And my commute's not bad now, but when I first started, it was like an hour and a half. <laughs> commute to find a job in my field and drive that far because in order, the only option maybe was to work at McDonald's and it's like, well, if I know how to do this, I'm going to have to make a sacrifice to make a profit. But maybe there's other things. Maybe there's other things that you've sacrificed. Maybe it's your own life or yourself or your soul. Maybe, you know, maybe you've made decisions that weren't good decisions to make a profit. Maybe you've kind of bowed down the knee, so to speak, to certain practices and, and things in business to make a profit. And and maybe you started to trade off your soul in those things. I don't think anyone in here really has done that. But I think if, if we consider the ways of the world and the way the world goes, it's probably pretty common this day and age for people uh, to, get, to get ahead. Um, you know, and I guess I say this because you only get one life and one family. You know, we have one life to live and, and we work so hard to, to provide for our families. And I love that. You know, I think of uh, even like my dad growing up in the city, in New York City as a kid and coming from a family with a bunch of kids. And his dad was a, a cop and, you know, they didn't make a lot of money. And his mom stayed home and took care of the kids. And my dad started working when he was probably eight or 10 years old delivering newspapers. And he tells me stories how he was working and he paid his way through. He went to a private high school and he went through to college and he was working all this time. You know, just this ethic of hard work because he wanted to provide a good life for himself and for his family. In fact, even when he was a kid, just to, just to get by, he had to do these things. And that was just the nature of the beast back then. And, 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 then. and maybe you can relate to that. But I think of him and I think of my brother or myself or other people I know where, where you want to provide good for your family and you want them to have uh, at least the same standard of quality of living that you had growing up, maybe even better. But at what point, you know, does it not profit them anymore in the pursuit of these things? At what point does the pursuit of that bigger paycheck, that promotion, uh, working those extra hours begin to not be a detriment to them? Um, you know, my, I think of uh, my dad working all these hours and we had everything we wanted physically growing up. But and that's great. I'm not not thankful for that. But I wonder, you know, maybe if he was home warm, would have would have it been different? I think that for my own life, um, you know, every day I come home and it's, you know, you know what it is. You see your kids and then they grow older. And before you know it, they're three years old. Before you know it, they're 20 years old. Before you know it, they have kids. And you wonder, wow, where did the time go? Where did the time go? And how much of, of my kids have I really seen? I mean, I'm really glad that Ashley's home with them all the time. But I'm a little jealous. <laughs> you know, I'm a little jealous. I got a little time with Jacob yesterday. And that's the first, like, real one-on-one -on -one time I've had with him in a while. And it was good. And he fell asleep. And I wanted to fall asleep. <laughs> But man, let's not pursue the things that, that profit little. Let's not pursue profit at the expense of our soul or of our family. You know, even the things that are good, like ministry, like sometimes you have to make a distinct choice. I'm either going to do this and not do this. And that's something I'm realizing as I'm getting older, or maybe just now becoming an adult at 34, that, man, I can't do everything. I need to make distinct decisions. I can't go out and work all day and work hard and put extra hours and then go out and party with friends. And then still have time for a family, you know, and there's certain trade-offs, you know, sometimes I have to say, okay, I'm not going to do this extra freelance work, one, probably because I'm tired, but two, because I want to be able to spend time with my family. When it comes time at night, I want to be able to spend time with my wife and read the Bible or watch a movie or just hang out and just have that time, uh, you know, as opposed to making a couple extra bucks on the side for, for what really, you know, so I can go buy a new toy, you know, is that really like what's necessary there? I think sometimes we just need to make that, that distinct choice financially, spiritually, and practically. And I know this is a long intro, but we're going to get through it. Uh, Matthew six twenty four through 26 says, No one can serve two masters, 
For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Therefore, I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, what you will drink. You know, and he goes on to say, you know, don't worry. You know, look at the birds of the air. They're, they're taken care of, and so how much more is God going to take care of you? But that we can't serve both God and mammon. And that word mammon, obviously, we're not really familiar with, and we can think of both serving God and money. But really this idea, it's not just money, it's treasure, it's this idolatry. You know, there was this idea of the God of Mammon back in the day where they would sacrifice their children to this God. And, uh, you know, in order to get uh, wealth and prosperity and profit, because that's what they thought. And I think the same way today is, you know, we really have that mindset where we're going to give up everything and sacrifice everything um, in order to gain wealth, uh, whether, you know, I won't get into it, but think about things like abortion. Think about things like, um, you know, all sorts of things where we, we give up uh, the benefit of the little ones for money. But First Timothy 6, 6-12 says, uh, Now godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into this world that is certain that we can carry nothing out. And having food and clothing with these, with the, with these excuse me, we shall be content. I tell you, that's hard in America. That's hard for me. I go, really? Food and clothing? It's all, <laughs> you know, not the new iPhone, not the, you know, latest and greatest. Uh, but those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and harmful lusts, which uh, drown men in destruction and perdition. Again, it's not nothing wrong with being rich, but those who desire to be rich at, at any expense. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. But you, O man of God, flee these things and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, gentleness. Uh, fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life to which you are called and have confessed a good confession in the presence of many witnesses that, man, we need to lay hold on eternal life, not on this life. And again, not that there's wrong with having things in life, not that there's wrong with investing or even profiting this life. Profit is not evil. It's, it's not wrong to profit. You know, God even gives his servants and tells them to profit and tells the one who doesn't profit that you're wicked to bury your talents in the ground. But instead that our main goal, our main pursuit would not be mammon on this life, but would be laying hold on eternal life that, yes, we do seek profit here on earth, but that it might be an eternal blessing through that profit. And then we might, again, put our money where uh, moth and rust and thief uh, can't reach it ahead of us. But last time we saw Paul and Barnabas, they split over John Mark. They were continuing on their missionary work. Barnabas wanted to bring John Mark, and Paul really said no. You know, he kind of bailed on us last time, and we talked about that. But Paul and Silas continue on. They meet up with Timothy, um, who's a devout uh, man. He's half Greek, half Jewish. Remember, we talked about Timothy getting circumcised from the ministry uh, as he commits to the ministry. But as they go out, they end up finding a lot of closed doors spiritually for them. They try and bring the gospel, but there's a closed door. They bring the gospel, a closed door. So finally, they, you know, they don't really know what to do. But then Paul gets a vision of a man in Macedonia. And so the next day they, they set sail and they head over to Macedonia. And they find a bunch of women praying a few days later. Uh, this woman, Lydia, and she gets saved and is baptized. And they begin to stay with her uh, for a while. And she was, she was a woman who profited. She was a woman who was wealthy. And uh, she also revered God as we looked at that. But as we get into our study... Let's just uh, uh, come to the Lord in prayer one more time. <sighs> Heavenly Father, we're so glad that, God, you love us and you've invested yourself in us, your blood and your body and your time and your love in us, God, because if you didn't invest in us, God, we would be um, worthless, God, but you're worth everything. God, help us to invest our lives in you. And God, we pray for physical blessings in this earth that we might use them for you. But God, if uh, if you would choose that we just have food and clothing and we can only be content in those, that God, help us to be content in those things. But God, we pray that you would, again, minister in your word and, and lead us and guide us in all truth, uh, Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. But uh, Acts chapter 16, and we'll pick it up in verse 16. And we'll read through 24 to start off here. Now it happened as we went uh, to prayer, as Paul and Silas, that a certain slave girl possessed with a spirit of divination met us who brought her masters much profit by fortune telling. And this girl followed Paul and us and cried out saying, these men are the servants of the most high God who proclaim to us a way of salvation. And this she did for many days. But Paul, greatly annoyed, uh, turned and said to the spirit, 
I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out of her that very hour. But when her master saw that their hope of profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to the authorities. And they brought them to the magistrates and said, These men, being Jews, exceedingly trouble our city. And they teach customs which are not lawful for us, being Romans, to receive or observe. Then the multitude rose up together against them, and the magistrates tore off their clothes and commanded them to be beaten with rods. Sounds like fun. And when they had laid many stripes on them, they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to keep them securely. Having received such a charge, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. And we'll stop there. It says that they were on the way to prayer. Uh, you know, there's customary prayer time in Jewish culture. You know, they were, we see that all throughout scriptures where they go at different times during the day. Um, but they were coming to prayer time, just like Lydia and everyone else, that they were continuing in this prayer. They were going to prayer. They were following the prayer times together. They were meeting together um, uh, just as they would uh, uh, as uh, Jews uh, before uh, Jesus. You know, there was that Macedonian call, you know, and that they were still just praying regularly. You know, Paul received this vision. They traveled quickly. They come over there. They didn't find a Macedonian man like we talked about. And yet, what do they do? They just continue doing what they're doing. They're meeting. They're praying together. They're regularly being faithful. You know, there's not a church plant yet. There's not a mega church yet. You know, but they're just faithfully meeting and praying. You know, but but this is Paul. Shouldn't they have 10 services by now? Shouldn't they have Paul all over the billboards? Look, Paul's in town. He was Saul. Now he's Paul. Come, let's let's start a church here. Let's get a launch committee going together. You know, hogwash, you know, I, I, I know guys who, who do a certain method for starting churches and I don't necessarily think it's wrong, but I just, I just don't get it. And maybe I'm just naive, but, um, I, I, I wonder in a lot of these things, I'm not saying the people I know that, that have gone through different methodologies to do it. Are they just searching for a prophet? Are they just searching for an earthly kingdom? We're going to go here in such and such a day in such and such a city and we'll get so much money and so many people and we have so many people. We'll have a launch service on this day and we'll start out. We'll have 10 service and do this. And maybe there's benefit to that. Maybe there is profit to that. There's people who have been around the, the block a lot longer than I have and maybe they, they probably have some wisdom that I could, I could glean from. I would probably guarantee it. I'm still very wet behind the ears, so to speak. But what I'm saying is, I think a lot of times, at least in Western culture, there's this, there's this disconnect that I see from Scripture and from practice. And, and maybe I just don't understand things. I don't know. But maybe they're just searching for personal profit. Maybe they're searching for personal gain. We're going to go here. We're going to do this. We're going to get this much return. But is it really what the Lord had desired? Is it really what God had desired for them? And that's you know why I, I want to make sure that as we go out and we hopefully prayerfully uh, will do some ministry this spring, that, man, it's what the Lord would have us to do. And it's not just, oh, well, everyone else does it this way, so let's just do it this way. Oh, I got a book, and it says to do it this way. Well, I have a book, and as I'm reading it, I want to see how they were doing it. You know what I mean? Now, again, not that there's anything wrong with different methodologies, but I wonder, are we just applying methodology for personal profit, or is it for spiritual profit? You know, are we willing to do things God's way and let him bring about the profit that he wants to see? But it says, as they were going to prayer, that they were met by a slave girl. And this slave girl had several masters. You know, she was a young girl. She wasn't a woman. I, I tried to find out how old she was, you know, based on the word or some commentary. But I'm assuming, you know, she's probably preteen, early teenager. Um, uh, maybe she was even younger than that, given society and, you know, marrying age and all those things. Um, but she was a young girl and she was possessed and she was not free. She was owned by several guys who were making a profit from her. You know, I think of kids in occultism today and how the world makes a profit off of children getting into occultism, getting into things like, dare I say, Harry Potter, getting into things that we, uh, like horror movies and certain things that are all about this witchcraft and all about divination and all about things that aren't really godly and how much profit they make off of that. And these kids get sucked into them. I'm not saying if your kid reads Harry Potter that they're going to hell or that they're doing witchcraft, but I say, well, where does this path end? You know, I can think of um, growing up uh, like Ouija boards and always being told to stay away from them or being over at a sleepover and you would all want to do like light as a feather, stiff as a board and all these things or don't say certain things into the mirror at school and, and kids being very interested and intrigued by these things. And I also remember as I was growing up, kids that I knew and friends that I knew that started getting involved in these things, hurting themselves or being involved in, in certain types of music or witchcraft that would really kind of go that way. I remember um, Wicca started getting real popular when I was in high school, 
where kids who are in the spiritual void begin searching out spiritual things. And, and what do they search out? They search out wickedness and they end up getting in bondage to it. And I'm not saying, you know, again, you read Harry Potter, you're going to be in bondage to witchcraft. But I wonder, where does that end? Where does that end? You know, it's not always just a game. It's not always just a book. Um, you know, like it's not always just a cigarette. It's not always just a joint. It's not always just a, just a drink, Mom. You know, it, it turns into more than that, you know. Um, the things that my mom knew were like the tip of the iceberg of the stuff that I was involved in. So you start hearing that, you know, and be wary that there's probably more behind it. You know, but it says, he says, Paul and us, Paul and us. And it sounds like, you know, Luke was there. If Luke's writing this, uh, maybe Luke was there. Um, I didn't really research that, but it's kind of interesting the way that's written. But just to touch back on that, man, the way the world profits off getting kids into these things and, you know, just movies, for instance, and the stuff that they consider PG in a movie or even G or PG-13 in the language and the sexual humor and all these things that the world begins to profit off of or MTV or Nickelodeon or Disney Channel, the stuff that they portray on there that, that kids get stuck into. And again, I'm not saying all of it's bad. I'm saying it's really interesting the way that what the world will profit off and who the world will... will uh, throw under the morality bus just to make a buck. But it says that she follows them. She follows them, that they're going to prayer. And this isn't just one day, but she keeps, she keeps seeing them on the way to prayer. And she starts crying out, hey, these guys are the most high God. They worship God. They're, they're teaching the truth. And I have to say that, man, we need to be wary of things that may show up as we get involved in spiritual things, whether that's people that come along as we're going out and doing ministry, you know, especially if you're doing street evangelism or things, the, the people that, you know, might get involved or the places or the things, they're not always messengers of God. Just because they claim to be of God or even maybe even just say spiritual things, um, you know, you need to watch out. I can think of people who would come in uh, a couple times who came into the church in New York and they would say the right things as they came in, as they were uh, looking for help or they were seeking. And they would say certain things about God. And, you know, you go, yeah, you know, positionally, that's nothing wrong with what you're saying. But there was just something off. And the more I would sit with them or counsel with them or see them around, I would go, oh, yeah, there's something way off. Something else would come out of their mouth. I would go, there's no way you believe in Jesus and you believe in that. You know, there's no way you would say that or do that or desire that and also uh, have this faith that you talk about. And, you know, maybe they were coming in just to get money. Maybe they're coming in just because maybe they had some mental illness. I don't know. Um, but we do need to be wary sometimes just because these things that, that, that someone proclaims, it may not be uh, from God. You know, because remember, she's saying the right things. She's saying the truth. But remember, she's possessed. She has a spirit of divination. She's fortune-telling for people. She's got a demon speaking through her and speaking about things. So if she's talking about God and about these men, know that this knowledge is from the demons. Because remember, even the demons believe and they tremble. The demons are all before God. The demons know who God is. The demons know who Paul and these guys are. You know, as we'll read in a couple weeks probably, Acts 19, 14 through 16, and there was these seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish chief priest, who did so. And the evil spirit, they were trying to uh, cast out, uh, perform exorcisms. And the evil spirit answered and said, Jesus I know, and Paul I know, but who are you? And then the man in whom the evil spirit was leaped on them, overpowered them, prevailed against them, so they fled out of the house naked and wounded. And we'll talk about more when we get there. But the, the evil spirits know who God is. And they know who you are if you're a believer, especially if you're being effective uh, for the Lord. Uh, but she's possessed by a demon, and this one empowers her with knowledge, you know. Maybe she knows things that maybe no one else would know. She would might tell you something that, how did you know that? How did you know that about me? Um, you know, I think about shows about talking to the dead or special knowledge. There were shows that were popular probably more than a few years ago now. But, you know, there are people all sitting around the audience and there's this guy who would say, someone in here has a grandmother named Lois and would talk to them and get knowledge. And how could you know that? Well, if he's not scamming them with Google, it's demonic knowledge. I mean, the demons have been around since the fall. They're here. The Bible's clear that there's a spiritual realm that goes on. They observe. They interact. They, uh, princes and powers of the air, we see that they have control over different regions. So I wouldn't think it's hard for a spiritual being that's been around here for thousands of years, and it's a third of the angels, guys, to know what your grandmother's name is and know what your grandmother's hang-up was and to be able to, to try and trick you spiritually through that, you know? There's a prophet in them for it. They're uh, out against God and against people. 
this, but this girl's life is taking over. I don't want to get too deep into that, but she's physically a slave and spiritually a slave. She has physical masters who pawn her out to make money off this fortune-telling quote-unquote gift that they, that they think she has. But she's also spiritually a slave because this demon has possessed her and has control over her. It's giving her thoughts. It's giving her words to say her life is bound up spiritually and physically. You know, it brings her profit, her master's profit, doesn't bring her profit. She's stuck doing it no matter what she does, whether she wants to do this or not. But it also brings the enemy profit, like we talked about. The, the, her masters make money, and the enemy keeps people in spiritual bondage as they seek her for spiritual answers. In Leviticus 19.26, I'm going to read several different translations here. It says, Do not eat meat that has not been drained of his blood. Do not practice fortune-telling or witchcraft, uh, NLT. Do not eat meat with the blood still in it, and do not practice divination or seek omens, NIV. You shall not eat anything with the blood, nor shall you practice divination or soothsaying, NKJV. You shall not eat anything with the blood, neither shall you use enchantment nor observe times. And this idea of that we're going to try and figure out something that only God could know or that we couldn't know by physical, practical means that we couldn't know naturally by turning to the supernatural, but turning to the supernatural outside of God. Let me get a supernatural, spiritual answer, but let me get it from someone other than God. Well, how many options does that leave? If you're not turning to God for the spiritual answer, for the supernatural answer, for the answer that you can't get practically out of, you know, just looking outside, the sky's blue. I don't need to really ask God that. But sincerely, where else are you going to get that answer from? The enemy. The enemy. It's not going to be from God. If you want a spiritual answer and you don't want to seek God, I guarantee you will get a spiritual answer that is ungodly. Um... I don't know who that is.
Okay. So we were talking about that and about, you know, there's only one choice where this um, knowledge could come from. But you think about, you know, what about King Saul and the witch of Endor? If you read uh, 1 Samuel 28, you know, but remember that when Samuel did appear, the witch uh, kind of flipped out. She, she wasn't expecting him to show up. Um, God let him show up uh, for reasons known to God to kind of get Saul and get his attention there. But, you know, people try and will profit from will try and profit from these things. You, know, you think about horoscopes or palm readings, etc. where let me go get this knowledge. Let me try and put some profit in my life from it today. I'm going to meet someone today or I'm going to do something next week. Or it's, I was born when the star was shining. And, you know, I've heard it said that, yeah, okay, well, does that mean that the mother's womb is, is like lead lined and that the st stars and planets have no power over you while you're in there? And it's only when you come out <laughs> that your horoscope affects you, you know, by the day you were born. I digress. But, um, I'm a little amped up from running out there. But, um, you know, people do try and profit from these things today. But I think even in a sense, and this is a bit of a stretch, people today use advanced science or algorithms or computers to try and divine what stock markets will do, what the, the trend is for the next six months or, or year, or they use metadata to determine what a population is going to do or who they're going to vote for. Based, You know, I've seen all these things. Uh, based on what car you drive, we can determine who you're going to vote for. <laughs> You know, like, it's interesting, you know. Um, and again, not that there's necessarily even wrong with looking at the data or crunching the numbers or things like that. But really, are we trying to get answers that, that only God can give us? You know, uh, even Amazon will uh, was experimenting with this thing where they would ship items before you even buy them based on your habits of shipping. They would begin to move it to a shipping center close to you to try and get it uh, to your door faster. But Galatians 5, 19 through 23 says, Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbirth of wrath. You know, we've looked at this before. You know this. Um, but he says that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. But he says here, sorcery. Sorcery. And we think, okay, well, yeah, I don't have a big pointy hat. I, I don't ride a broom to work. So I'm in the clear, right? <laughs> um, uh, but that word sorcery is actually pharmacia. And that should be very familiar to some of you, you know, pharmacy, drug use. I'm not saying you go to CVS and you get your albuterol that you're committing sorcery. Or you go and you get your ibuprofen or you go and whatever medicine you take. I'm not necessarily saying that. But it has this idea of mind-altering drug use. Um, and that there's a real connection between this drug use and the spiritual realm. You know, even wine and spirits. I'm just saying, you know, why would you want anything that said spirits in it? But the point that I'm making is that there's this real connection that even, you know, we're not, we're not in Ephesus right now, but in Ephesus, they had temples where they would go into this cave and I forget what kind of gas was coming out of the ground, but they would get sort of a high from it. And these temple virgins would, would think that they were communicating with the gods and I guarantee they're communicating with somebody. Or you think of like a sweat lodge and you're going to communicate with the spirits or whatever it is. But if you've had any experience with pharmacia, with mind-altering drugs, you'll know that there's something there, that there's something more there. You know, you're letting your guard down. You're now susceptible to other thoughts, other things um, that are out there. Um, but it's dangerous. It's dangerous, you know. And I think here that, you know, this girl keeps following them and proclaiming the truth. But evil is the one that's proclaiming the truth here. You know, talk about uh, the enemy can disguise his servants as angels of light or as ministers of light. The devil's going to tell the truth at certain times to get his way, as long as you don't turn to the truth through it. You know, that there's this connecting evil with good to give a legitimacy to the evil. You know, there's all sorts of moral arguments these days that will give some sort of cloudy good basis for what they're doing. Oh, it's for the health of you, or, or, it's, or it's good for you, or you were born this way. But they give a moral um, a twisting to it all. Um, you know, even if you think of evolution in the sense where this humanistic sense where we're becoming like God. And what was that promise of the enemy in the garden? Eat this fruit and you'll be like God. Um, you know, and we don't need to go into the details of all these things later, but just to touch on them, to get them on our mind when we're considering uh, this sorcerer, this girl who uh, is a sorcerer. But it says that Paul's greatly annoyed. And I take comfort in that verse that you can be a man as spiritually strong as Paul and still get annoyed at something. You know, he's not really annoyed at the person in front of him on 200 East on the way to work or whatever, but he's annoyed at the spiritual thing going on. Um, and it means to be troubled, displeased, offended, or to be worked up. 
You know, and I love it. I think of Jesus in the temple. He was worked up. He was worked up about what they were doing there. But what does Paul do? Does he speak to the girl? Does he say, come here, little girl? No, he says right directly to the spirit, he says. Um, you know, again, she's just a slave. The spirit is using her, is, is possessing her. Um, he says to come out of her. And he says that he came out of her that very hour. And again, I think that, that points out that this isn't just some mental trickery. This isn't just some mental illness. This isn't um, a gift. This is a personality that was inside of her that was communicating these things and that came out of her that very hour. And again, there's going to be people who will say the truth in certain times, but it's coming from the pit of hell. But it's interesting, now that she's spiritually free, she's no longer a prophet to the people that own her. You know, she's not a prophet to the enemy because the enemy's not in her anymore, but she's not a prophet to these guys who have her in slavery anymore. You know, she's going to go sit down at the fortune teller table and she's going to go, I don't know. <laughs> um, and no one's going to pay for her advice anymore. Um, you know, they've lost their major source of income. You know, in a sense, she can no longer turn her spiritual tricks for these guys. But they had this hope of profit, it says. They had a hope of profit that they were like, yes, we found this girl, or she was, she was Bob's slave, and turns out that she's got this gift in their eyes, but it's uh, being possessed. Yeah, she's your slave. Let's, let's use her. I'll help promote her, and, you know, I'll pay for her to travel or whatever it is. And they all kind of colluded together. Like, we're going to make a fortune off of this, off this fortune telling. Um, but man, you know, they, they had their hope uh, for profit in the wrong things. And it didn't matter. This girl didn't mean anything to them. Not only was she necessarily a woman in their society, but that she was a slave and she didn't have any worth. So whatever they could get out of her, they would get out of her. And we see that today, too. Again, people using children, using people in slavery, no matter what the cost, just to make a few bucks um, from them and from their bodies or their minds. But it was their idol. You know, they saw this as easy money. They can make a great gain without having to do anything. This girl did all the work, and because she was a slave, they made all their profits. Um, and they didn't care what spiritual advice she gave. They didn't care one way or the other, whether it was good or bad, true or false, or where it came from. All they cared was is that they got their cut of the profit. And again, today, the, the world just wants profit. Not that capitalism is wrong, you know, but I think capitalism, in a sense, has been taken over by greed because we have business without morals. Profit without any um, profit, excuse me, at any expense. You know, what do people today exchange for a profit? Maybe they have to work Sundays. And again, if you have to work on a Sunday or have to work where it makes going to church on a weekend rough, that, whatever, go to, you know, there's other days in the week you can go to church. There's other ways around that. I'm not saying that that's necessarily it, but I think as a whole, the world doesn't care about church on a Sunday. You know, yeah, I'm at the supermarket this morning. You could say, people could look at me and think the same thing. Look at him at the supermarket on a Sunday morning, but Really, what are, people have other things to do on a Sunday morning. Don't say Merry Christmas. Definitely don't say Merry Christmas when you work at uh, a certain establishment because you don't want people to be offended because you want profit. Celebrate what's popular. Don't offend. Sacrifice whatever it takes. Cut corners. Um, say whatever you want. You know, I went to go get tires yesterday. I had an appointment for a week and a half. And the guy goes, we can't take you for a couple hours. I'm like, well, I had an appointment. And he goes, well, nothing's guaranteed. And I said, well, nothing's guaranteed because no one keeps their word anymore. So I made an appointment next week. He gave me money off. But the point is that, man, people don't care. People don't care anymore. But these guys drag Paul and Silas to the local authorities. And what do they say? They say, these guys trouble the city. Did they really? It's kind of a stretch. Who do they really trouble? These guys whose pockets weren't lined anymore. And they couldn't go to their favorite fortune teller anymore. I don't know that how much trouble that really causes the city. Um, you know, one little servant girl gets free of a demon and the whole city is in trouble. That's kind of interesting. Um, but it said that they were being Jews. You know, they painted them as ethnic outsiders, that they're in a, a Roman territory, a Greek, uh, they're in Greece, and they're being painted as outsiders. But it's interesting that it says that they teach illegal customs. They teach illegal customs. Uh, well, what was the custom? Well, it was that Caesar was God, and that he was the one that we worship, and we don't pledge allegiance to anyone else. And what do they do? They teach that, that Jesus is, the, is God in, in, in human form, and Jesus is the one that they worship. But, you know, again... Don't forget, guys, that they cast out a demon out of this girl, and yet you still want to bring it before the town? This guy, these guys have more power than this power that was in the slave girl of yours, and you're concerned about um, arresting them? Again, they're not thinking straight. Um, they're not thinking straight. 
But it says that they can't receive or observe it, you know, that they weren't allowed to listen to it or to follow it, that there were things that the Roman government said you couldn't do or you couldn't listen to or you couldn't be involved in. I mean, when you think about um, the freedoms we have in America where we're technically allowed to have freedom of assembly and freedom of speech that we don't have other places. You can say things, you can do things here that you can't do elsewhere because of those laws. Um, but what laws today do we have, you know, that would restrict these things? Maybe there's not a law. But maybe there's a lawsuit. Maybe you can't say something at work. Maybe you can't run your business the way you want. Maybe one day will come where we can't meet like this and talk about certain topics without the fear of a lawsuit. And I'd say that day is probably pretty close. Or even maybe just getting mocked when you say things or when you believe things that the world doesn't believe. Whether it's you know think the hot button issues like homosexuality or evolution or racism. You know that there's not even racists. It's we're all humans. We have different ethnicities and slightly different you know skin tones and things of like that. But we're all human. We're all human. Or global warming, we won't get into that. Or genders, you know, you can be whatever you want. Laws or vaccinations or STDs or drugs or pornography or morality, abortion. If you don't toe the party line on any of these issues, if you have a view that's outside their open-minded view, so to speak, you're ostracized. You're thought of as dumb or backwards or a bigot or whatever it is. And even if you're not, you know, I mean, when someone doesn't believe the things that we believe, I hope that we don't look at them and think those things, but it certainly goes the other way around. You know, the, the people that the things that people were tweeting when Justice Scalia died, uh, the people who disagreed with him were like rejoicing that this man had died um, or that lady. I don't know, this, uh, you know, I forget her name, but who d- didn't do the same sex marriages in the in the town. And there's a big uproar about it. Um, I mean, someone at work even dresses her for Halloween, <laughs> you know, that there was. You just get mocked. I mean, I'm not saying necessarily that she did things in the right way or anything, but I'm saying as a general, as a whole, she didn't want to do something that was against her beliefs one way or the other, and she becomes a national spotlight. You know, again, anything that isn't on the agenda um, is kind of outlawed. Um, and I really think that the Bible will be close to being outlawed in America sooner rather than later if things continue on this trajectory. I mean, you think of Facebook and China and Facebook bowing down to China and wanting to be involved in China, but China has such censorship laws that they've had to change their policies and things. Anything, we don't care if you're suppressing free speech. We just want to be collect data and all your billions of people, and we want to be the premier social network, and it's crazy. But this mob rises up, and the government officials agree, at least to pander to the mob, if not totally agreeing with the mob, um, but the, of their outcry, you know? Um, you know, that they beat these men, they throw them in jail, and the jailer then throws them in the deepest, most secure part of the jail because it's a major uprising, because he knows based on Roman law, if he doesn't take care of these people, his life is at risk. If these people aren't kept in his custody, um, he is in uh, some serious danger here. But I don't want to stop here, so let's see if we can get through a little more of this scripture before we close. Um, Let's go on verse 25 through 34. But at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's chains were loosed. And the keeper of the prison, awaking from sleep and seeing the prison doors open, supposing the prisoners had fled, drew his sword and was about to kill himself. But Paul called with a loud voice, saying, Do yourself no harm, for we are all here. Then he called for a light, ran in, and fell down, trembling before Paul and Silas. And he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? So they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved, you and your household. Then uh, they spoke the word of the Lord to him, to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their stripes. And immediately he and all his family were baptized. Now when he had brought them into his house, he set food before them, and he rejoiced, having believed in God with all of his household. You know, at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying. Remember that they were on their way to prayer before they got thrown into prison. They were going into prayer. They met this girl. This girl met them. They cast out the demon. The magistrates, the people get upset. They bring them, bring them to the government. The government beats them up, throws them in jail. So what do they do? They're praying and they're worshiping and being imprisoned didn't stop that. And I love that, that, hey, we're going to prayer. We didn't have to go down by the river. We can pray here in the middle of jail at night. But there's something special, I think, sometimes about midnight prayer or worship or reading. You know, to spend time with the Lord late at night. You're about to go to bed and you just feel like, maybe I do need to spend a little more time with the Lord tonight. You know, I find I I did that more when I was single and it was easier to stay up all night or whatever. But sincerely, there's something special uh, in that. But the scripture tells us that the prisoners were listening. 
And I find that very interesting. One, that the prisoners weren't shouting at them, be quiet, shut up, you know, whatever words that they want to use to try and get them to be quiet. It's the middle of the night, and Paul and uh, Silas are praying and worshiping in the jail cells. You know, then they were listening. They were listening. And you don't know who's listening. You don't know who's going to walk in on a Sunday morning and find us having church. You don't know. You don't know. And, that, and that's the ministry. That's the ministry. You know, and, and they weren't in prison. Paul and Silas weren't thinking, you know, man, if we just never came for that Macedonian man, we'd be back. We'd be having a good time. We'd be sharing the gospel. We would, you know, maybe we would just be hanging out at church. But they're in prison. They're in prison because they follow the call of God. But it says that there was a great earthquake, and I looked up earthquake zones, and apparently this is actually an earthquake zone. Um, but it was a great one. It was a serious one that shaked even the foundations of, of uh, these prisons. And I don't know much about this prison, but I know that some Roman prisons were even underground. It was even like a well, like the Mamertine prison. You were lowered down um, into it. But it says that all the doors in the, opened and the chains were loosened. And I don't know if this is just a byproduct of the earthquake. I don't know how many earthquakes unlock prison doors around here. Probably not too many. Um, but I suspect maybe it was more like when Peter was freed a few chapters ago. I suspect that maybe God uses an earthquake to get everyone's attention, and then God just kind of went whoop, and opened up all the doors and all the handcuffs came off of these guys. But the warden, the prison keeper here, the guy who uh, was in charge, was going to kill himself. He was going to kill himself. Man, there's an earthquake. The doors are all open. Everyone's got to be gone. This is an opportunity for them to get out. They have to be gone. I'm going to go kill myself now. And not because he was depressed and, you know, was into that sort of thing, but because that his life was on the line to keep them in there. And and if he lost prisoners, if any of them were wanted for murder or anything, his life would go in the stead of them. It was Roman law. But all the prisoners were there. And I think despite the earthquake, despite everything being unlocked, that this might be the real miracle here, that all the prisoners were still in jail. If you were in jail and you were a hardened criminal and all of a sudden there's an earthquake and all the doors unlock, see you later. <laughs> I'm going out. You know, you think I'm in school. As soon as that bell rang or as soon as that professor didn't show up to class, you were out of there, right? Um, and I think that that's because, uh, you know, what does that say when a prisoner stays in jail when he has an opportunity to profit like this? When he has an opportunity to receive his freedom like this? I think that they had been touched by God. That whether they got saved or not is not really uh, said, but that they didn't leave. That they saw that despite the being in prison, Paul and Silas, that they had a freedom that they didn't have. You know, they again, they had a chance to profit, but they saw that there was a greater freedom, that there was a greater profit available um, through God. And the prison keeper, I think he knew this was an act of God. Um, that Paul and Silas were in prison for their faith. He knew why they were there for casting out a demon. There's an earthquake and then no one leaves prison. He goes right to Paul and Silas. He goes right to them because he knows that, hey, this is because of you guys. This isn't a coincidence. And I think in life, sometimes we, we brush things off as coincidence, and maybe they are. And sometimes I think, man, sometimes things aren't a coincidence at all. And because of this, through this, he asks the classic question, what must I do to be saved? What must I do to be saved? That's great. That's an open door for you. The prison doors are open, but this man's heart was open. And Paul gives an interesting answer, one that we would expect. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, right? That's all you have to do, believe in Jesus, right? But the affection to his whole household, his whole household. You believe on Jesus, and your whole household is going to come to know the Lord. Uh, And again, not that he just has to say it and their magic words and everyone gets saved, but that there's this profound effect of a father, of a leader, of someone in charge, like the prison leader, a prison guard uh, coming to Christ. And I think that there was an opportunity for his whole house there. They had witnessed the same thing. You know, I suspect that his house was close to the prison or attached to the prison or whatever it may be. Uh, that, that's why he was there so quickly. Um, but they had all witnessed the earthquake. They all witnessed the earthquake. And I think it's important not to brush off revelations of God in our lives. Um, you know, maybe this is just the pizza talking. But uh, last night um, I was laying in bed. Uh, we were putting uh, the kids to bed, and we just hang out in there uh, for them uh, with them for a little while. And I just remember, like the Lord, just kind of uh, ministering to me in a way, sort of like an Ecclesiastes way. But you know that life is pointless if we're not worshiping God. That I know that this is obvious, but to me it was like a revelation. To me it was like, wow, life really is pointless if I'm not worshiping God. That there really is no point to living unless. I'm worshiping God. And maybe that's just for me, but I I don't know. I I think that when God does reveal things to us, when God does minister something to us, as depressing as it may sound like, that there's no other option, but sincerely that 
man, we need to pay attention to these things. We need to take these things to heart and consider them. When there's an earthquake and there's an open door and it's obvious that it's because there's a couple of guys in here who cast out a demon or proclaiming a living God and the government doesn't like them, that there's something going on here. I need to go talk to them and find out what I need to do. But immediately it says that he and his family believed and were baptized. And that's awesome. We see immediate salvation, immediate repentance, immediate sanctification in the sense where it's not final sanctification, but they, uh, he cleans up the wounds of, the, the, of Paul and Silas. He cleans up their wounds. He ministers to them. They get baptized. You know, where was this water? Was it a puddle from the earthquake? Did they fill the bathtub? Did they turn on the sink? I don't know. But immediately they said, it's the middle of the night. We just had an earthquake. None of the prisoners have left, but we want to get baptized because they knew that there was a reality of this and there was an importance to this. Um, and that there was a res- uh, restoration of the wrongdoing. But as we close here, you know that they had this midnight feast that real faith knows no time. And they realized the importance, uh, the importance of God and that they were willing to worship at any hour, no matter what just happened. No matter there was just an earthquake, no matter that they had all these prisoners to worry about, but they didn't have to worry about them. Let's have a feast. Let's feed you guys. Let's worship God because we know that God is real. And I don't want to keep you guys too much longer. So we'll save the rest for um, next time. But, you know, that the, they had profited here. The people viewed uh, real spiritual profit as unprofitable. They saw what Paul and Silas were about. And they said, we don't want anything of it. Um, and the jailer who thought all was lost and death and suicide was necessary. He instead profited from eternal life. He was about to kill himself. Well, what does he get in return? He gets eternal life, and his whole family does. And we'll see what happens next time with the government. But I have to ask, you know, what are we going to profit from this message? What are we going to profit from this message? Hopefully something, hopefully a little bit. What are we going to profit from the gospel? And what are we going to profit from our time with the Lord this week? I hope that we put our hope in that real profit, and not in maybe a raise at the end of the month, or maybe not in whatever we have coming along in the next few weeks or next few months, but that we hope that, man, when we go to spend time with the Lord later tonight or maybe tomorrow morning or tomorrow on lunch or whatever time you're going to spend time with the Lord, that we would go with this heart, myself included, hoping to walk away a little bit richer, so to speak, spiritually. Um, faith checkbook today from, uh, as we close, um, you know, knowing in yourselves that you have in heaven a better and enduring substance, Hebrews ten thirty four. you know, that God has given us a promise of real estate in the glory land. And that promise comes to our hearts with such full assurance of its certainty that we know in ourselves that we have an enduring substance there. Yes, we have it now, but we also have it in heaven. And God, we ask this morning that you would help us to profit from your word. Pray for my neighbor, uh, that Jeff, that you'd bless him and minister to him. Thank you that we were able to be there for him and that, God, you provided that uh, coincidence and uh, in a way. Uh, but, God, in that open door. But, God, we ask that you would uh, minister to him and his family. We thank you for uh, this time together in your word. And we ask that, God, you would help us to truly profit from you and to follow you uh, no matter what the cost is. Even if it means we, uh, we end up somewhere and don't know what we're doing there. We end up going to prison. Uh, but, God, the, the jailer might be saved. And we thank you for that. Bless our time uh, the rest of today. And uh, we thank you that winter is on the way out. In Jesus' name, amen.